In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us, mankind, with the pure light of that divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teachings. Implanted us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God. Unto thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is everlasting, and then all holy, good and life-giving spirit, now and ever, to the age of ages. Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. I wanted to open with a quick general comment. And this is for the, the uh, dedicated few that are joining us today. Maybe a few more. Oh, there's Kathy. Good. Um, we've talked about how the Bible is not primarily history. It's not primarily poetry. It's not primarily, um, you know, theology. It's all of it. it has all of those things in it. And it's it's primarily it's not philosophy. It's not, you know, about um, any kind of primarily about, you know, sort of like this is a way of seeing the world. It is an instruction book on how to live. So remember, we've talked about that from time to time. It's instruction. It's not, oh, what's true, what's not true. It has truth in it, but it, the truth is there so that we do something, right? Does that sound familiar? Yes. Okay. Because it's instruction, this is there's there's an obvious point here, but I think sometimes we have to say it to really understand the depth of it. If it's instruction, that means that the Bible isn't the goal. The goal is a life, right? So the goal is that we live a certain life, that we do certain things and we don't do other things, that that's the goal. And the message of the Bible is, this is God's desire for us. God has a goal. He has a desired way that we live, things that we do, things we don't do, the reasons we do things, the purpose, uh, the manner that we do things, the intention that we do things. And Matthew talks a lot about intention, um, about the perspective of the heart, things like that. Um, but that's the goal, okay? So what's the role of the scripture, what's the role of the Bible? The Bible is God's way of informing us what that is. Like a guide, yeah. In other words, without the Bible, you have God who has his will and his desired outcome for us. But without the Bible, we don't know what that is. Only through the Bible and what the Bible inspired, the writings of the fathers, the liturgical life of the church, the things that we do inspired by it, all those things are the goal, but they come to us from the Bible. In other words, studying the Bible, understanding the Bible is absolutely essential to living from the very beginning, long before we all had our own Bibles, this was the way the church understood it. And it was so important that the process of canonizing the Bible is such an important process says this is what is the rule this is what measures everything else so just a way of encouraging everyone who took time on a snowy thursday morning to come in 
or to tune in. And for those of you that are going to be more listening in, as we put our Bible studies online podcast, um, it's a really important thing that we do this. It's absolutely vital. So it's good for you for being among those who are doing it. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? Yes. We've got a phone person. If you could just mute. I'm not sure who that is. Who's ever, whoever called it. I don't know if that Murphy's, if that's you or who that is, or Barb, if you could mute, we're getting static through yours. Yeah. All right. Unless you are Alan or Kathy or Elaine, if you would mute. can't hear us. Father? Yes. Were you taking an inventory? <laughs> well, we're hearing static coming through your line. If you can mute when you're not talking. Okay, I'm muting. Yeah, we're still getting a lot of noise. Okay, I'm so sorry. I think it's me, but I can't mute it, so I'm just going to lead. Are you are you on both? Because there is another Kathy on. <laughs> I'm on a I'm on a phone. Um, I'm on a phone on our way to an appointment that we got stuck in traffic on. Oh, you can't mute on your phone. I'm on my phone, but I'm sorry. We'll just get off. <laughs> Whatever you did, it stopped, so we're good. <laughs> All right, so we are jumping back into Matthew. We are in chapter 13. Yeah. And remember last week, it was the parable of the seeds, and we didn't get the explanation yet. But those of you that were faithful and patient, here it comes. So would somebody read for us verses 10 through 17 of Matthew 13? Linda, Linda got it. Here she comes. Ten? Did you say ten? Uh, ten through seventeen. Yeah. Nice and loud. Okay. The mystery of the parable. And the disciples came and said to him, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" He answered and said to them, "Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For who?" Whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear, hear with their ears. Lest they shall understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they 
see and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Is there more? No, that's good. All right, so before we get to the explanation, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. We're going to hear the explanation in a minute. But in between the parable, which came before this, verses 1 through 9, and the explanation, which will fall in verse 18, there's this little dialogue about why parables. Remember last week, we all discovered, me principally, that the parable of the seeds and the sower is the first parable in Matthew. And so, in a sense, this little section, 10 through 17, is setting us up for understanding why he speaks in parables. And this is a very misunderstood section because when he says, um, to, in answer to the question, why do you speak to them in parables? His answer to you, it has been given into the secrets, but to them it has not been given. And to him who has, more will be given him who has a abundance, and who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It seems very unfair. It seems like, well, Jesus, people don't have a chance because they're not able to understand it. And because they don't understand it, he's not going to let them understand it. That's what it seems like. But I promise you, by the time we're done in the next few minutes, we're going to realize that that is not the case at all. All right. So let's look at um, the part I just quoted. And then he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. And now he's going to tell us why. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. With them is indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, and then he quotes Isaiah, you shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but not perceive. For these people's heart has grown, grown dull and their ears are heavy of hearing and their eyes have closed. All right, so, so far, we're starting to get clues, and we're going to have to read the whole thing to get the whole picture. But the first part of it is, why does he speak to them parables? The first part of his answer is, because to them, to you, meaning the disciples, has been given to know the secrets, but to them, those he's talking to outside the disciples, they don't have something. Right. And do we know by verse 11 what that something is? To you, it's been given. To them, it's not been given. Do we know why it's given to the disciples and not the others? Giving the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Do we know why? Why they have? Yeah. Because he chose them. Do we know that in verse 11? Do we say, did he say why? He doesn't say why. No. He just said they have it. Okay. So according to verse 11, so far, we're going to take this piece by piece to get it. Verse 11 says the disciples were given something, the others were not. We don't yet know what that is. All right. Everybody with me? All right. Verse 12. Now he's not going to say the what yet. What he is going to say, though, is. To him who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We still don't know what the what, what the it is, right? Or how they got it. 
I mean, they had his understanding. We don't know how they got it. And then this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. What does that mean? Seeing they do not see. It's a tough phrase, but it's key to understand this whole section. Really, you can see with your eyes, but you're not understanding necessarily with the soul of your eyes. So they might not be comprehending or refusing to understand. Okay, and we'll we'll get to understanding, but let's stick with seeing because it's it's complex, but it's it's so simple. If we miss the simplicity, we're not going to get the complex part of it. What does it mean that seeing they do not see? They're well, blinded. In in what sense, according to that phrase? Do they think they're seeing? They think they're seeing. Right. Yes, I think they, they think, think they're, they're seeing. Yeah, okay, because we know that they're not seeing. Why? Because you said they do not see. So think about this logically. These people that are seeing aren't seeing. So in actual fact, they're not seeing. In appearance, they're seeing. So seeing, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. So in appearance, they're seeing, but they're not seeing. Okay? And remember the context of Matthew. Matthew's going to strip away a lot of these outside assumptions or outside presentations to get to what we might call the heart of the matter, to the reality, to what's underneath. Remember all those uh, admonitions against hypocrisy? It's about what's really true to the core. So there's an appearance that isn't true. And that appearance goes from seeing to hearing to understanding. Okay? Now it should make a little more sense. When we hear, you shall indeed hear but never understand, you shall indeed see but never perceive, what does that mean? Based on what we just said about verses 11, 12, and 13. I probably reversed this, but throughout my life, I've said that you might have heard something, but you didn't listen. Now, I don't know if, if I yes. reversed that and no. said you might, have, you might have listened, but you didn't hear. Or I'm, I'm not sure, and I should probably research that to find w which is the right context. Is it that you no, hear it, but you don't listen? That's exactly right. And when you say that, you say you heard, but you didn't listen. What do you mean by that? For me, Father, it has meant um, that I didn't study upon it. You know, I didn't um, dwell upon it. I didn't take it in. I didn't assess it. I didn't give the time to understand it. So it sort of just passed by me. Like they say, it went in one ear and out the other. And it kind of didn't yeah. stop at the brain. Something like that is what it's meant for me. Yeah, is it accurate to say that the, you thought you heard it, but upon further examination, you didn't? I think so. Okay, that's exactly what I think he's saying. And then when he quotes Isaiah, he says, you shall indeed hear, but never understand. Again, the perception is, well, that's not fair. If he's not letting them, well, that's not what he's saying. If they're hearing, but not hearing, or how does he say it? If they're hearing, but they do not hear, 
It's that they think they're hearing, but they're not. They might be listening. Use your words, Susie. They might be listening. They might be hearing, but they're not listening. And why can that never change? Because as long as they think they're hearing, but they're not hearing, they're never going to hear. Does that make sense? It surely does. Is yeah. that different than, well, you hear, you're hearing somebody speak, but you're just, you're, you're just not interested or you don't think what they're saying is important enough and then you're not hearing. Maybe because of disinterest. Maybe you're stuck on your own understanding. Whatever reason, you're hearing the words. The sound is traveling. It's registering. But you're not really listening to what that person is saying. And there's all kinds of reasons we do that, right? Sometimes it's like we, we are so blind of our own biases, our own presumptions or assumptions that somebody says something and we didn't hear it. Remember early on, right after the death of George Floyd, I mentioned in a homily this thing about you know, Black Lives Matter. And what I said was, even though we all know, of course, Black Lives Matter, we know all lives matter, obviously. But I said, I caution everyone to say, if somebody says to you Black Lives Matter, and we want to jump in and say, well, all lives matter, we didn't hear what they said, which was some of us who may be Black don't feel like we matter. We got to hear what is being said from the person's perspective, not through just our own lens. Because if we do that, we think we've heard, and now what are we doing? We're responding back, but we really haven't, we're, we're reacting, we're not really responding. We haven't really taken in what they said. We didn't listen. We heard, but we didn't listen. And why is that something that can't change? It won't change until we stop only hearing and not listening. In other words, if you don't change, you're hearing, but you don't hear, and you don't change that, it can't be changed. Right? You've got to decide, oh, I, I heard you, but I didn't listen to you. Let me think about it again. That's the whole basis for, for miscommunication. This is one reason basis. why um, I encourage people to... I'm on the phone, Debbie. I'm on Bible study. Why I encourage people to um, not just recite the creed and the lord's prayer and the prayer before communion but to actually read it because when we recite them they're just words but when we see them with our eyes for me at least they're more meaningful it's a more meaningful and you've always alan, said that alan alan yeah. george Jr. used to say that he was my sunday school teacher and so were you and you both said that read it yeah, and what was your purpose? What does that do for you, Alan? Um, it keeps my mind and my eyes and my hearing focused on, on what is being said. Right. right. Yes, and outside of saying the words without meaning, right? It's, 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 very, yeah, it's very pertinent to this because you might think you're praying when you're really just saying words and not really praying the words. Yeah. So, although we, it's not in here, you could say, you could add to that list, praying, you do not pray. We have the appearance of it, we're not actually doing it. And if you're praying and do not pray, and you don't realize that's what you're doing, you'll keep doing it. 
right? You have to realize if you're seeing, but you're not seeing, you have to realize I'm not seeing before you'll change. Okay, so, so go ahead, Susie. It's really profound, Father, you know, this, this whole discussion, um, because what we're saying is a lot of times we just recite, wrote, memory, but words and not always having the time. A lot of times when you are reciting and memorizing um, and repeating back, just from our theater days, a lot of times you're, you're, you want to make sure you're remembering it correctly. So you're concentrating to make sure that the words are going to come out right, whether it's a script in a play or whether it's a prayer at the altar, Father. And I've even asked you that because sometimes, you know, when I'm reciting, I'm afraid I'm going to flop up that sentence. Um, but I find now, especially it's something I wanted before um, COVID, but especially after COVID, I have, I have. COVID's not over. <laughs> I know you're right, Alan. I didn't mean to. Uh, I I have it. That's why I said yeah. that. Oh, I have God it, Susie. <laughs> Darn it! Again, how are you, Alan? I'm doing all right. I'm so sorry. You were just at a wedding. Yeah, everybody you got it. it. I was going to say you probably picked it up from there. God bless us all. But the point I was going to make was, um, I. I'm in the pews. I put myself back in the pews and I'm opening the service book and I'm following along services. I've, I've known all my life. Right. And prayers father that you speak that I never heard by singing in the altar. I, I mean, singing in the choir loft. I, I couldn't hear them because we were singing over them and right. now I'm reading them. And I, I have to tell you, it, it grants me so much more of an experience, you know, and when I, um, when I had this uh, issue with my eye and uh, the dis dislocated, dis detached retina, I said to God, first of all, you don't know why anything happens, but things happen. And, you know, Father, you've preached about suffering, although believe me, I'm not suffering, not at all compared to anybody. I'm not suffering. But I said to God, of course, I hope I'll get back as much uh, vision as I can in that eye. But I've said to God, please let me see what you want me to see, even if I can't see it with that eye. I feel like yeah. maybe things happen with a deeper purpose. And, you know, before it all comes back, if it ever does all come back, I just want to see what I'm supposed to be seeing. And I felt that way about COVID, too. Let us understand what it is we're supposed to understand about it all. So I yeah. just think this is the basis of our faith and also the basis of miscommunication in the world <laughs> because we don't listen yeah. to each other. And right. in my case now, talking too much, talking too much, you know, listen, listen more. Well, and so if I you think you've you heard, and if you're, if you have heard, that's good communication. But if you think you've heard and you didn't, that's the worst. Like if you're, um, you know, people say, cause of our bad acoustics, we're trying another sound system today. We're testing it in the church today. Um, yeah, we're over. <laughs> yeah. So if um, when people know they don't understand, now there's an opportunity. They might say, "Well, Father, I'm going to listen to it later," or "Going to go to the cry room" because they know they don't get it. If they want to get it, they'll find a way. But if they heard it, but they th but they didn't really understand it, 
That's the worst. Why? Because they're not going to say, I better go listen again. They go, I heard it and that was dumb or it was too long or whatever, but they're not hearing the message. So the worst thing that Jesus is addressing here is not, not hearing something. It's thinking you've heard it when you actually didn't, because now you're stuck with not hearing it, which is why he's quoting Isaiah. You shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but never perceive. Now he's going to tell us why. All right. That's the what. This is what happens. Why is it? Why is it that, that people can think they're seeing, but not see? Here comes the why in verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes have closed. What does that mean? Their heart has grown dull, their ears are heavy of hearing, their eyes have closed. And specifically, is it because they've uh, their heart has encountered and their ears have heard or eyes have seen, is it because they think they've already seen a lot or seen a little? What's their perception? Like they're discouraged. Yeah, why? Because they haven't. <clears throat> it's too little what they think that they've seen or heard. When he says their ears are heavy of hearing. They don't, they're tired of trying they're to. They're tired, why? Because they've tried to hear, but they didn't understand that. Yeah. In other words, they they we always say, I've seen enough. Yeah, like, right? I'm done. Okay. For these people's heart has grown dull. When do things get when does a sharp get a knife get dull? When you use it a lot, right? Yep. It's been used a lot. Now it's dull. The ears are heavy of hearing. Why? Because you heard a lot. I don't want to hear anymore. I can't, I can't over over. Right. So this is new with him trying to talk. It's new. But what are they? What are the not they mean not the disciples, but the others? Do they see that it's new? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Why? Because their heart has grown dull, their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes have closed. Why? They've experienced, heard, and seen a lot. And now they think they know. Everything that comes along, I know it. This is why, by the way, for adults to grow spiritually, this is one of the biggest problems we as adults have that kids don't, right? We think we've seen and heard it all. And so to get through adults, it's hard. Why? Because our hearts have grown dull. Our ears are hearing. We've heard it all. We've seen it all. You know, kids don't talk like that. They don't say, oh, I've seen it all, right? They think they know it all. But, but they're open, open, their openness, they're open to seeing more, hearing more, learning right. more. Because they, they're their kids are just, they're like, everything's amazing. Yes, because it's new and they know that they don't know. That's right. right? They may not say. This is where teenagers really become difficult because they don't know, but they think they know, right? Kids know that they don't know. Why is this? Why is that? Why do we do this? Why does this happen? What? So, and then the teenagers, why are they so aggravating? Because they think all of a sudden, now they know everything, but they don't know anymore, right? So the idea that, why, again, the question is, why do you speak in parables? Because they're not going to understand. Why don't they understand? Because their heart is going dull. Eyes are here of hearing. All right. And then we get to now finding the phrase that's going to change everything. Now, first, before he gets there, let me, let me go back. Let me go back to 15. Their heart is going dull. Our ears are here, heavy hearing. Eyes are closed. 
lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand their heart. And what would happen if, in other words, now he's going to say to them, this is what could change if their heart wasn't dull, their ears were heavy of hearing, and their eyes of eyes hadn't closed. What would happen? They would perceive, hear, and understand, and he would turn and heal them. That's what they're missing out. Because their heart is dull, eyes are heavy, eyes are ears are heavy, eyes are closed. Because of that, they are not perceiving, hearing, understanding, and he's not, he can't turn and heal them. So is he quoting Isaiah there? Yeah, that whole phrase from the after the first line of 14. So most of 14, 15, and 15 is a quote. And I don't know if anybody has the footnote on it. Look at your footnote in 14, see if there's a reference to Isaiah. No. Nobody has it? There isn't one. I have to pull it up then. Hold on. Matthew 13, verses that 14 and 15. Mm -hmm. oh, well, he says in 14, it's from Isaiah. Yeah, it's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Which is, by the way, we get, it's a very famous passage in Isaiah. I just read it the other day on my three-year Bible plan. Um, we read it during certain feasts. That's when Isaiah has a vision of the temple. And it's filled with smoke from the censer. And the angel takes the coal out of the censer and touches the lips of Isaiah. And it purifies him. And then he says, you know, you know the Lord says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So that's the same chapter, Isaiah chapter 6. And now we're going to see he's going to tie everything together so that the whole thing will make sense. Because, again, the question was, why do you speak to them, the crowds, in parables? Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What or who is he referring to? What are they seeing and hearing? Or who? The disciples. They're seeing Jesus himself. There you go. Okay. Now, is the sense that he says... And if we could infer, and it, I'll, I'll add to the text, but I want to say I'm saying it. But bless your eyes, for they see me, and your ears, they hear me. Does he mean visually and audibly? No. Why not? He means really. I think I don't mean to say he means, yeah. but in my, yeah, right. in my, it's the heart. It's with your heart you're seeing. It's with your heart you're hearing. Yes. Open your heart to him. You're hearing yeah. the message. Yes. And you're listening, to use the word that Susie used earlier. You're not just hearing, you're listening to it. How do we know? They're the disciples. By definition, they're the learners. The disciple is a student. 
So by definition, when he said, follow me, they got up and followed him. And now he's teaching them. And the disciples came to him, verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? To them it has not been given to know these secrets, but to you it has been given. How, why is it given to them? They wanted it. Their hearts were open. Their hearts were open. Now, it doesn't mean they're perfect. Because we switch, if we flip back to, to Matthew 28, when the story is ending, they're going to see him after the resurrection on the Mount of Ascension, and some are still going to be doubting. So it's not perfect. It's not perfection. It's openness. And how do we know they were open and the others weren't? We go back to verse uh, chapters 11 and 12, where, you know, he casts out demon by Beelzebub and all that stuff. So their openness, not just to visually see him and audibly hear him, but to use that word to listen, to really understand, to seek to know what he's trying to say, is why they are blessed. For they see in their ears, for they hear. And then to underscore that, he says, truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see and did not see it. What were those prophets longing to see? The Messiah. Yeah. They're longing to see God fulfill his promises. And in Jesus, he does that. God does that. So, Father, I'm sorry. That was Isaiah chapter six. What um, what verse? Uh, verses. What did I say? Nine and ten. Thank you. Yep. So, what's the message in all this for us? Ten through seventeen. have to have open hearts to understand to listen to deepen our faith open to what to him right to him and specifically what he's really saying but so we have to become learners he's asking us to become learners like the disciples mm -hmm. but as you just said they you have to have the openness but they made mistakes so it's like a hard road for us, but we just have to continue. Yes. And if you continue, then you get to see what even all the prophets and righteous people for, for a long time long to see, but didn't see it. But we'd see it. But it takes that openness to say, like Susie, you're expressing, like, I really got to understand, not from my perspective, what this person is telling me. I got to really listen. And that took, takes putting away your own presuppositions, your own assumptions, all your biases, putting all that away and saying, let me really listen to you now. Um, do you remember the movie Avatar? Yes. Good movie. I just rewatched it. It came out on IMAX because the next one's coming out. What did people, what did they, they never said, I love you. How did they express their affection for each other? You remember? They'd say, I see you. Oh, but that makes sense. Yeah. 
I and see you. Because you. you know, people say, I love you, I love you, and that can be overused. But if you, yeah. if you say, I see you, you get it. Yeah. And oh, the movie, isn't that great? In the movie, they they go to the, the people from Earth go to this faraway planet and they they create the body of these aliens that they um, put their consciousness into and operate. That's why the movie's called Avatar. It's the person's actually in a box connected to a computer and the computer runs the body, but the person feels like they're in that body. So when this guy from earth who's crippled, he's a Marine who's been crippled. Now he's in this new body with very strong and he's big and he's learning the ways of the people on this planet. And he falls in love with the girl from the planet and they say to each other, I see you. She sees through all the machinery and all that, and she sees him. So it's, it really is seeing, not just looking at somebody. So they live happily ever after? Well, you no, got it. We, we got it. Part two is coming out. We got to go see it, right? <laughs> so why does, let's go back to where this section began. Why does he speak to them in parables? If Jesus didn't speak in parables to the crowds, what would happen? I think a lot of it would wash over them. Or wouldn't stop to listen. I mean, if you're drawing them in with a story, um, then they may, they may pique their interest more. So the crowds are all around, yeah. and Jesus is talking. When he doesn't talk in parables, what tends to happen? You just start telling people what to do. Well, what do they do? They walk away. They, they walk away or they argue. disagree with him. There you go. Why? Because hearing, they're not hearing. Seeing, they're not seeing. So that's like them watching a movie like you got to watch part two. Okay. So why the parables? He's not going to give them the opportunity to think they're seeing without actually seeing. Right? Because he's only telling a story. He's telling a parable. If they don't see it, it's because they're not looking for it. The kids, go, again, go back to verses 1 through 9. We don't know what the seeds are. We don't know what the ground represents. We, we guessed at it. We, we, you know, but we had to really be searching to figure out what is he talking about. And to do that, you have to be open to what he's talking about. Not, oh, I think he's talking about what farmers should do in, in the springtime when they go to. You can make that up if you want. But you gotta you gotta really work to understand. In other words, the parable is the best opportunity for somebody who might be um, thinking they're seeing and not seeing, or thinking they're hearing but not hearing. It's their best opportunity. Remember when I said from the very beginning, it looks very unfair when it says. To you, it's been given of the secrets, them as has been given, and to him who has, more will be given, and he'll have abundance. To him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That sounds unfair, right? What does it sound like now? Reasonable. Well, the first yeah. part, whoever has, to, to him more will be given. That means he will, um, that person will understand more of uh the message of christ and if what huh 
If they do what? If they listen. Yeah, really listen. Not think they've heard and debate or assume. Right. Really. Yeah. So it really isn't, not only is it not unfair, it is the kindest, most generous thing he could do. Because he could say, all right, here's my teaching. And they would just argue with him. And the, the, now the fate is sealed. Because a dean here, you'll never understand. He, it's, the parable is the best opportunity he could give them. Not because of who he is, but because of who they are. Because they're hearing but not hearing. That's the best chance that he could give them that he would actually hear it. Because they have to be seeking for the meaning and the truth. And it's a matter of putting it as a high priority. You know, I was thinking, well, it's not fair to those who have really busy lives. And then I remembered the Mary and Martha story. And it's like, no, it's it's um, really a matter of ordering your lives properly. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's good. It's a good point because. It's never the case that somebody does not have a good opportunity to find God. We can make excuses and say, well, because of this, that, and the other, I don't have time or I can't do it, right? Right. But those are excuses. They're lies. They're things we tell ourselves so that we think we've heard, but we haven't heard. Right? One of the hardest things as a priest that I that I encounter is it's not people who don't come to church and who know they're making their choices. It's people who are coming to church and think, I'm fine. Why? Because I've defined for myself what determines my fineness. I come this often. I do this. I don't do that. And that's fine. That's it's the worst spiritual place we could be in. Why? Because we are, to use Jesus' words, seeing but not seeing, hearing but not hearing. And That's because we think we're fine, because we think we're fine, we aren't open to a, a change. What was that, Susie? That's the whole um, publican and the Pharisee, or Pharisee and the publican. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting because that's the first pre-Lenten Sunday. We start the whole journey to Pascha on that day with the decision point. Are you really going to be justified or just think you were? <laughs> Did somebody say something? I thought I heard something. Now, let me read a couple quotes. Uh, this is St. John Chrysostom talking about when Jesus said that um, to him who has will more be given and he will have abundance. Although the saying is quite obscure, it, in, it indicates unspeakable justice. For what Christ is saying is something like this. When anyone has zeal and eagerness, there will be given to him on God's part all things sufficient for his needs. But if he lacks any responsiveness and is not ready to contribute his own share, 
neither are God's gifts bestowed. In that case, even, quote, what he seems to have, unquote, so Jesus says, quote, shall be taken away from him. Here does not so much God taking something away from him as it is his own unreadiness to receive these gifts. We ourselves do this all the time. When we see someone listening carelessly and when, and when with much effort we cannot persuade him to listen at all, then it remains for us to be silent. For if we continue, even his carelessness is aggravated. But as someone who is striving to learn, we lead on and pour in much. So when he talks about being unspeakable justice, this really is God's justice. We, we know that in the end, Christ will sit on the judgment seat and he will judge. And this is his justice. His justice is not, well, I'll give to these people, I'm not going to give to that people. Um, that, that gospel we read at the funeral gospel is in some ways very comforting, very, in other ways very frightening. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. On the one hand, we want him to be just, not unjust. But when he says just, meaning if we've been, as St. John Christum says, if we're unresponsive, well, then we can't receive what God has for us. And that's how ju God's judgment works. It's, it's not like he's going to weigh things in the balance and go, well, they did more bad things than good things or good things than bad things. It's did they, were they open to and seeking what God was bringing them? which brought them to new life, or were they not? We read another quote. This is St. Cyril of Alexandria. In people who are teachable and well-disposed for receiving the divine words, the Holy Spirit will make his abode, increasing in them his gifts. But in those who have acquired only a tiny spark of light and have been negligent even with that, even the little they formerly had becomes utterly quenched and is taken from them. This is what some Jews have experienced who received a light from the law but gained no increase from it. When the truth arrived, they became dim-sighted toward it. Even what they had has been taken away. So you see, again, when we if we read this without being really careful, God seems very mean. Like, how could you give to to some that have and the ones that didn't have even what they had is taken away? It seems mean when you look at it and really understand what he's saying. He's saying he's going to do everything he can. But unless we turn and seek, then even the little we have, we're not going to even be able to keep that. Not because of God's choices, but because of our choices. Does that make sense? Yes. Frighteningly so. <laughs> yeah, I know, huh? <laughs> but here's the good news, Susie. All mm -hmm. we have to do is be open and looking. This is why, by the way, when he says to us, seek and you will find, you don't have to worry, are you going to seek and find it? All you got to do is seek it. We all, all we have to do, and I know it's over, it sounds oversimplistic, but we don't have to worry about the result. We have to worry about that initial action. Are we going to seek? And he says, if we do that, we are going to find. 
Knock. It's not knock and see what I'm going to do. Knock and the door will be open to you. So you can't walk. That's our you prayer can't. for everyone. It is our yeah. prayer for everyone. Please enliven that Holy Spirit. Let them seek it. Let them want it. Everybody. Yep. Yep. Linda, you're just saying we can't flunk. We can't flunk because you said seek. Uh huh. And then it, you just said it doesn't matter the result. You're open to it. So I mean, he's because what you just read is kind of scary too. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's going to give you what you need if you ask. Now, asking is not again. It's not appearing to be asking. It's why, by the way, he, he said in that same section, I figure where it is, ask as if you've already received it. That's the assumption we can make. It's like, well, if I'm seeking God and I'm seeking not just the thing that I want. Now, again, if I'm seeking what I want, I go, I want this thing. Well, if I'm asking God, what I should ask him is, if you want me to have the thing, give me the thing. And if you don't, that's better for me. So... Yeah, everything about God is assurance. The only question mark is us. And normally, people flip that around. They go, I know what I want. I know what I need. Is God going to help? Why isn't God doing this? Why didn't God do that? When it's the opposite. God is the steady one. God is, is the unmovable one. The only question is, are we going to ask? Are we going to seek? Are we going to see? Are we going to listen? All those things. And if we do, there's no question. That's the guarantee. The God is the guarantee. The only question mark is us. That's comforting. Yes, Isn't it? Now that makes you feel better after what yeah. you before. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Everything with the real Christian message is always a paradox of equal parts comfort and, and maybe fear or trepidation, whatever, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the comfort is God is, is for sure. If we understand the Christian message, God is for sure. The gift was already given to us. Mercy has already been given. We have everything. That's the comfort. The fearful part is we only get it when we look for it. And let's be honest, too many times we're not looking for it, meaning what God has. We want what we want, and we want to see the message in the way we want to see the message. With fear and love, draw near. There you go. Yeah, it takes both. We'll read you one more quote. Then we'll oh, maybe a couple more. Let's see how much time we have. This is also St. John Chrysostom. This we talks about seeing that they don't perceive. Uh, Lest anyone should suppose his words a mere accusation, and lest people should say, being our enemy, he is bringing these charges and calumnies against us, Jesus introduces the prophet Isaiah. The prophet pronounced the same judgment as Jesus himself. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, you shall indeed hear but never understand, you shall indeed see but never perceive. So it is the prophet himself who accuses them with the same precise point. He did not say, you see not, but you shall indeed see, but never perceive. He did not say, you do not hear, 
but you shall indeed hear, but never understand. So they first inflicted the loss on themselves by stopping their ears, by closing their eyes, by making their heart fat. For they not only failed to hear, but they heard heavily. And they, and they did this, he said, lest they should turn for me to heal them. Thus he described their aggravated wickedness and their determined defection from him. That's a really important point. Um, one of the questions we get from the kids at camp all the time is, is who goes to hell? And my answer is the people that want to be in hell. And they go, who would want to be in hell? But this phrase explains that. When Jesus says, let me go back, um, these people, heart is grown dull, their ears are heavy here, and their eyes are closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their hearts, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn from me to heal them. In other words, why are they maintaining their dullness, their heaviness of hearing, their closed eyes? They don't want him to heal them. That's, that's the utter reality, is they don't want it. We, we disguise that with, well, I don't believe in him, I don't believe it's true, I'm not sure, all the things we say. But the reality is, if we don't learn to see, hear, and understand, it's because if we do, we're going to be healed, and we don't want to. Remember when Jesus said to the man, you know, do you want to be healed? It sounds like such a stupid question. Of course the man wants to be healed. But how often, if we're honest, the things that we struggle with, if Jesus were to say, do you want to be healed? If we're honest, the answer is no. No. I want to stay with my illness, my, my anger, my frustration, my judgment, um, whatever it is that we're stuck with in our sins. Why are we stuck? Not because Jesus can't take it away. We don't want to be... We don't want to be free of it. We want to keep it. We don't want to be healed of it. And you see how that equal parts comfort and trepidation comes in? Like, yeah, we could be healed. We wanted to, but we don't want to too often. And I, I love the, the one passage, Father. Um, I believe, help my unbelief. Yes. I see, help me with what I don't see. There you go. Yep. It's always that openness to, I, I can't assume I'm seeing it. I got to keep looking to see, am I really seeing it? Am I really understanding it? One of the homies I gave a few months ago on this, that whole forks in the road, a lot of us are stuck because our images of God are are set, but they're not true. They're, they're, you know, the judgmental God, the God who's disappointed in us, the God who is just expecting of us, not the God who's loving us. And yet, everything Jesus does is to show us so powerfully, if we're all willing to listen and watch and understand, that it's all about us. It's all about his love for us. I mean, Christmas. Why does he come as a newborn baby? Um, Bishop Anthony said something the other day. It was really profound. Oh, Elaine, help me with this if I, if I, if I get it wrong. He said, um, isn't it amazing that God would come to save us by becoming dependent on us? 
Was that close? Yeah. Yeah. Elena Lynn went to go put up his Christmas tree and I, I tagged along. Ah, uh, how special. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, really, to think about that, that he, yes, he comes to save us by becoming dependent on us. In other words, he puts himself at risk so that we can see him as he is. We can see his, why, why do we see his love as much at Christmas as, as Holy Week? It's, it's the same love that says, I'll become a little child for you, and I will go to the cross for you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank Father. You. Next week, I believe. No, we're not. Next, Next week, week is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, already. <laughs> I know. Hard to believe. Two weeks, God willing. December 1st. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> we're December. Yeah. Right? <laughs> know it. And we have the snow to prove it. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> God bless yeah. everyone. God bless. Take care, Thank everybody. you. Thank you, Alan. Yep. But hope Goodbye. you feel better, Alan. <laughs>